0: For the 430 movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. If you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, the 50-year mission. So say we all, the complete oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And nobody does it better, the complete oral history of James Bond and Spymania. All available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Captain's Log, Stardate 5276.4. We are in orbit around the planet Dremia, under the conditions of general quarantine.
1: You are hereby directed to surrender for trial by the people of Dramia, Dr. Leonard McCoy, Medical Officer, USS Enterprise.
0: Do not be assured by your friends' plans. Grayman justice is swift. Too swift for them to save you, perhaps. I, Coldtide,
1: survived. By what miracle, I do not know. Plague. Graemea 2. Of unknown origin, characterized by pigmentation changes in skin of victim. Your blue...
0: will self-destruct in order to
2: protect other beings from the disease on board. The briefing room. This is Peter Holmstrom. I'm a screenwriter for the sci fi TV show Pandora, as well as author of The Center Seat 55 Years of Star Trek, a companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company, in stores right now.
0: And this is Lisa Klink. I was a writer for Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and I currently have a short story out in the first episode of Star Trek Explorer magazine.
2: And this is the Trexperts briefing room, where industry professionals curate audio commentaries with the creators, creatives, and diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. We live in an era where trust in science is low, while the need for science is very high. Mass communication and the ability to Google search phrases on a phone allows people to believe they are experts. And the need to listen to actual experts for these people has gone away. On a more positive note, Star Trek has served as an inspiration for nearly four generations of scientists, activists, and people who are out there making the world a better place. And hopefully it will continue to do so for many years to come. This is largely because science fiction could sneak in morality tales that were pertinent to the era under the guise of alien races and far-off galaxies. While the original series was often hampered by budget or just limitations of live action, by the time of the animated series in 1973 and 74, alien life and the splendor or devastation of the galaxy could be highlighted. Joining us here today in the briefing room is one of the many hard-working people who helped bring the animated series to life for filmation in the 1970s. He was the director for every episode of season two of the animated series, as well as working as animator and director for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Sabrina the Animated Series, The New Adventures of Gilligan's Island, and many, many others. Bill Reed is here in the briefing room. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Good to be here.
0: So, Bill, tell us how you first got associated with Star Trek. Oh,
1: I had worked for Filmation uh, starting in uh, 1967. And I've been with them for all those years. Uh, let's see, 67 to uh, 73, I think, of uh, uh, Star Trek started production, 72, 73. And uh, I was, uh, then I was animating. I was an animator. I worked on uh, some of their stock scenes and, uh, you know, just one one of the regulars. And um, Hal, Hal Sutherland was the, the main director, and he asked uh, he asked me if I would uh, like to start directing as I was an animator at the time, and I said sure. So I directed a couple of a uh, couple of things before the Star Trek. I think one of them, as I remember, was Lassie and the Rescue Rangers, and um, another one, uh, which I can't remember off offhand, but then. Um, the studio was so busy at that time that uh, he had done the first uh, the first uh, year. I think there were thirteen episodes. Uh, Sixteen. How many? Sixteen episodes. Sixteen, yeah. And he had he had pretty much set up the whole uh, the whole system, uh, the stock backgrounds, the stock. Um, uh, characters the, ma- the main characters were already done in in stock form which means that they could be used over and over again and uh, they had the uh, the close-up, the um, mid-size character which would be a uh, full full figure and then the uh, uh, long shot and these were all used over and over again as the walks and runs and um, stuff like that. So it was pretty much set up for me. Uh, When he asked me to do the second season, I forgot the other shows that he had gotten busy on, but uh, the studio was so busy at that time that he he just wanted to get on with some of the other stuff since he had already set up the Star Trek. So it was kind of a breeze for me, except I was young. I was 30 years old. Uh, I really didn't know what the heck I was doing. Mm Basically, I mean, not having that much experience uh, in the directing part, <laughs> so it was a real learning learning experience for me.
0: Now, were you already a Star Trek fan?
1: I was, yes. Um, I we had watched, you know, the the Star Trek. I guess there were two two seasons of Star Trek to begin with. Uh,
2: three seasons altogether.
1: Three seasons, yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. It was fun. And then you know it just went away. And uh, when when uh, Filmation got the uh, the franchise to do these animated things, I thought, well, well, that would be fun mm-hmm. with with the original
2: characters but as the voices. I know Filmation's output uh, for so many it was just so immense. Your resume is is longer than teams of people's all together. You've worked on just so many shows and a diverse uh, a range of of shows as well. Um, you know, where would you say, like, Star Trek ranks for you in terms of, like, the other projects that you've worked on?
1: You know, when I had when uh, gotten to the end of, of Star Trek, I was not a fan anymore. I didn't like it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I, I was sick of it. <laughs> Put it that way. That's no, absolutely uh, fair. <laughs> hey, I'm being, you know, just telling you the truth. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, I after after Star Trek guys, we did uh, we did the Archies, which was fun. I love, love that. There was um, the Cosby Kids, uh, Far Albert and the Cosby Kids. That was a lot of fun. And along with uh, several other uh, series, after a while I let's see, I started working for uh, Grant uh Grant Ray Lawrence. Um a different studio, which I suppose I shouldn't mention. <laughs> um, I worked for them for two years after after that, after the uh, uh, Star Trek thing. And uh, in 1981, I think it was 82, I went back to Filmation, and uh, they were doing uh, they were just starting up the He-Man, the He-Man series. So I got in on that, and uh, in 84, uh, I, see, I I did a lot of freelance stuff. So uh, I was working for different studios at, at the same time. Uh, at one point, uh, see, I really started freelancing in 1988. And at one point I was working for three or four different studios at the same time because I was working at home. You know, I would just stockpile the work and get to it as you know as it came in and i was able to uh uh time i was doing uh animation timing i was able to time a whole, a whole 20 minute show in um four days so i mean it paid pretty good just to just to do the those that one show so you know i was able to do two shows because Nobody was looking. <laughs> you know, I had to work. It was just, you know, stacking up there. So I made a whole bunch of money from 1988 until uh, I retired in 2008. Mm. And uh, all, you know, it, it, it all goes back to what I learned from Hal Sutherland working on Star Trek. I, I cut my teeth in the, uh, you know, the animation timing and directing part of... of uh, of the animation process.
2: That's fantastic. Well, let's talk more about it as we get right here into the episode. Uh, listeners out there, today we are watching Season 2, Episode 4 of the animated series titled Albatross. Available to stream on Paramount Plus or at any time on the excellent Blu-ray releases from a few years ago. Definitely pick those up. But uh, before we get into the episode itself, let's go down that syndication sizzle reel. We have one instance of medical aid to stop a deadly virus. One doctor arrested for genocide from a previous instance of medical aid. Three roles played by James Doohan. One instance of the dreaded Starfleet General Order Six. Eight blue Starfleet officers. One Vulcan nerve pinch and one Aurora to solve all the problems. Vulcan salutes have to go to the head of Filmation, Lou Scheimer, for providing the voice of Deimos. DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy as Dr. McCoy and Spock, doing their best to bicker, even though it's clear their recording sessions took place at different times and different spaces. And Bill Reed for directing this episode, The Star Trek Way. Warp 6 in three, two, one, engage.
0: So Bill, do you remember the genesis of this episode, where the story came from?
2: Uh, I do not. I will tell you. (laughs) This episode (laughs) was uh, written by Dario Finelli. Um, And if you are out there wondering who that is, that's a really great question. Um, Very little is known about this writer beyond this. Uh, He wrote a small movie called uh, Scorpio 70, which, uh, as you might expect, refers to 1970. Um, which has a whopping total of 12 votes on IMDb and an average of 4.2 out of 10 stars. Um, Who is he beyond that? I I could not find out. Um, This was probably a rejected script from season one that had been developed, uh, you know, was under consideration for season one. Dorothy Fontana would have considered it, probably through a freelance uh, submission. I tried to track him down. I really could not find any info about this person beyond the fact that he wrote this episode. Um, But Bill, I guess the big question would be, like, when uh, in season two, like, what was the kind of step one for you when you would receive a... Would you receive a script first and then start to break it down from there? Like, walk us through kind of the the animation process.
1: Uh, I would receive the storyboard and the uh, the voice, uh, the voices, which would be on a... Uh, we used a little video, uh, or rather, uh, audio tape. The audio tapes that we used to, you know, everybody had back in the day. And, and put it in the audio player. Uh, and just listen to the voices. And the, vo- the voices were all um, what we called uh, eight, eight frames with eight frames apart. So each, each line had eight frames between each. Between the lines, and as a director uh, looking at the storyboard, I had to make allow time for the fade in, the the, um, you know, the music coming up, the uh, a pan or a truck into the main characters, uh, and then the voice would start. So I I would have to allow a certain amount of time, footage, to allow that that to happen and then all the way through the whole show uh which was uh, usually 20 21 minutes um the editors like to have it long so they could uh cut you know tighten things up here and there so sometimes it actually ran out to be 22 minutes um but uh from I, uh, the storyboard, I'd have the storyboard, the sound, of the voices, the dialogue, and the exposure sheets. The exposure sheets are, um, I don't know how I can show you one, but I, it's hard to describe what they are. <laughs> I'm, video, I'm just audio. Um, they're sheets that have uh, every single frame of film for the whole show. In, in a line, like in, um, a long sheet of paper, put it that way, line by line, one, one after the other. So it was my job to, to write at the top of the scene, seed one, fade in uh, a foot and a half, which would be one second, um, pan across to, uh, you know, whatever, struck end, and then cut to close up of. Spock talks to, you know, close-up of Spock talking, cut, next scene would be Kirk talks, you know, on the bridge, you know, that kind of stuff. And it would go like that through the whole the whole show. And normally, um, it would take me, it used to take me a week or so to do one show, uh, which is how I got so many credits, green you know, credits. I mean, a week is a week, right? But then I had to... Fu- then I had to uh, follow, I had to hand out this, the show, the, the, uh, the scenes to the different animators. And uh, they would take the animation out, go ahead, uh, do the work, bring it back to me. I would look at it, make sure it was okay. Um, and then I, I would send it down to the assistant animation which was usually downstairs. They would clean up the stuff uh, any pages that needed to be cleaned up, it was then sent off to Xerox, which they would Xerox the uh, the drawings onto clear plastic cells, and then, and then it would go to ink and paint. The painters would then turn the cell over and paint on the back of the of the cell the, the actual colors of the uh, uh, you know of the characters then it would go to camera uh in in the meantime the backgrounds were being painted uh in, in a different totally different uh area so it, all this gets down to the camera department uh, and they would shoot it frame by frame you know, it would i don't know exactly how long it would take them for at least a couple of days two or three days But they had a crew of, I think, five or six uh, uh, camera guys. And at one point, they they were actually working all night.
2: Yeah, of course, I mean, I have to imagine, like, that's them taking individual frame shots of, of, you know, to make it all stream together into a, a, you know, 35 millimeter print, that would be quite quite a time consuming process.
1: Yeah, there were uh, 24 frames per second. Yep. So in 22 minutes, uh, that's a lot. A lot of frames. <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of frames. But uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, not every one of them had actual animation in them. For sure. Uh, there were a lot of uh, held scenes. Uh, a, a pan of a background is just one. It's just the uh, the actual background. But the the camera guy would have to uh, move it along on the bed, on the camera bed, you know, frame by frame,
0: yeah,
2: and stuff like that. The the camera guys did a lot of work.
0: Yeah, I
2: can imagine. Um, Here we have one of the moments in the animated series where Kirk gets to be a little mischievous. It's a common occurrence in the live-action version, but... Animation, I suppose, just because of the time constraints and the nature of it, it uh, usually was played uh, very quickly and you're getting right down business. But here he's being a little bit of a trickster. So that's always nice to see. Um...
0: I was just going to ask if you had any input into like the character design uh, of like these aliens.
1: No, I wish I did because I don't like the characters. (laughs) <laughs> I thought they were kind of ugly, you know? They were ugly. <laughs> some, some of the episodes had some, had some good characters, but uh, these in particular, uh, not not well designed, I didn't think. But I, I did not have a choice in that. Uh, the, the people that, that uh, okayed all that was Hal Sutherland and Lou Shaman. And by the time it got to me, it was all set. You know, the characters were set, the voices were set, the story was set, and I I could make changes in the story um, if things didn't make sense, which I did many times. Um, and you know, it's just a matter of changing the storyboard to uh, to you know to make to make to make the story flow better than. than uh, what I saw as, as really not flowing at all, but that, you know, clunking along. And I hate that. I hate that. I'm a real real stickler when it comes
2: to let's move the, move the story along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to imagine what you mean is uh, uh, adding something or taking something away visually. I, I don't imagine you could call up William Shatner and be like, hi, we need you to come in and record some more lines or something.
1: No. Like that. <laughs> I had nothing to do with that.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> You are Dramian.
1: The distinction here
2: is between... This is one of the great uh, elements of animation as well. What we're seeing here is a desolate wasteland of an alien planet. Um, You know, in the live action days, the best you could do was maybe you could pay for a matte painting, but by and large, uh, you would be in a room, it would have some disarray in it, and then you'd have to talk about the fact that outside it looks like a a wasteland. Or you'd find yourself in a cave. Or, yes, the the ever-present cave (laughs) sets. Yeah, this is gorgeous. It's almost as if... Really nice.
1: Yeah, they had some, some really good uh, backgrounds, I will say. Yeah.
2: And this, of course, you know, it's coming out at a time in American history. I think a lot of people today forget, but like this was uh, in a time when uh, mandatory vaccinations were still very much in effect—smallpox, uh, you know, polio, things like that—and okay. and so there was kind of this heightened awareness of, of medical issues um, and and the possibility of uh, uh, you know the, uh, the the notion of anti-vaccination is nothing new. It has existed for a very long time. So this is kind of looking at the idea of like, what if you did have a culture? That uh, distrust, that believed that medical treatment was actually killing you, and um, uh, this show is about investigating, like, you know, what is the actual cause of this vi- virus? Because they obviously, obviously, it can't be McCoy. That's that's crazy. <laughs> 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 but it's a great concept, and and for me, this is just one of the powers of, of Star Trek and powers of television that uh, you know I wish was still common today. Um, the ability to kind of examine issues of the time,
1: right? Yeah, uh, Star Trek did have some very uh, adult uh, themed stories. They uh, uh, they were not aimed at kids, you know. And uh, I think a lot of this uh, stuff just kind of went right over their heads, uh, the young the young kids, and. Um, I was surprised at some of the, the uh, some of the stories. Uh, there was one about, uh, one of the stories was about uh, suicide. Wow! Well, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, you wouldn't, I doubt that you would see anything like that on TV these days. Yeah. You know, they all, they all had something very adult to say. Uh, so. Doctor.
2: And one of one of my favorites from the animated series is the aliens who look like the devil, and that's so great. It's <laughs> pretty pretty uh, overt references to um, uh, kind of the Salem witch trials in there as well, which is yeah. fantastic. But um, and probably a bit of an allegory to kind of the McCarthy trials, which uh, would have still been present in people's minds, I imagine.
1: Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
0: So, do you watch yeah. any of the current Star Trek series?
1: no I haven't um, I uh, you know it's uh, I wouldn't even know where to find him to tell you the truth
0: <laughs> yeah it's a little confusing these days where it's uh, being taken off and where you can still catch it
1: yeah i I uh, I would I, I should I should kind of bone up on some of that stuff because I, I enjoyed the uh, the original so much, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, actually kind of hard for me to to kind of imagine what uh, the the new how the new sh- stories would be with the same characters with different that look different, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should check out Prodigy. That's really pretty good.
2: Okay, I'll write that down. Yes, this is one of those instances in the story which they've loosely found the macguffin of the series at the of the episode at the midpoint which is a survivor of the virus on this planet who can testify that mccoy was uh, not responsible um but they still have one more piece of the puzzle which is of course to find out what actually uh caused the virus itself um and to heighten the stakes we have our own crew getting uh infected with this with this virus. and Pretty soon, they're all going to turn blue. Uh, what we saw right here, listeners, is the last appearance of uh, Nurse Chapel in uh, the animated series. And she doesn't come back until uh, the motion picture, which is uh, about five years later. Hmm. Even though she doesn't actually have lines here in this episode. but um, So you're, you're quite the expert on the Star Trek uh,
1: history and all that stuff.
2: I try. I try.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it 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 was fun, you know. It was fun working on it while I while I uh, while I did, and uh, um, but like I said, I get tired of it. You know, I wanted to do funny stuff. That's why. That's why I got into the animation business in the first place. I love the old stuff. You know, the old Warner Brothers. Uh. Uh, and and uh, when, when we did the uh, Fat Albert uh, stuff that 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 was that was just with the kind of stuff that I wanted to do,
2: absolutely. Now, Bill, were, were you there when um, Filmation did their initial pitch for the animated series, and I believe it was '69 or so? Um, I as I understand it, the initial uh pitch, Filmation did for for Roddenberry and and the people at NBC was to do an animated series, which would have been at, like Starfleet Academy, and had our crew of the Enterprise teaming up with with young cadets who are yeah. going on zany adventures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do remember that. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Although uh, at that point in '69, um, I was an animator. I wasn't. I, I didn't. Hadn't gotten up to be a director yet. Um, I started. I started animating around around sixty eight, I believe 68, 69. And before that, I was an assistant animator, uh, which is a matter of uh, filling in drawings in between other drawings that the animator did, and then making sure that the characters were all, you know, on model. Um, but at that, at that time. I wasn't informed of anything, you know, I just did my work and uh, collected my check and went home. (laughs) I lived at the beach in Hermosa Beach at that time. And uh, I I surfed uh, from the time I was in high school. And, uh, you know, on the weekends we'd go surfing and uh, go off to, you know, doing other stuff. And then, you know, comes Monday, Monday's time to get back to work.
2: The <laughs> California Dreaming right
1: there. It was. It was. <laughs> loved it. Yeah, in the 60s and 70s. It was fun.
2: Yeah. I might
1: be able to get McCoy. And I do remember the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> they say if you lived in the 60s, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> and I do remember. Fantastic.
0: Were you ever tempted to get into live action directing?
1: Uh, yeah, I I, I, uh, I have. Um, I mean, I, back in when I was working, I I did want to do uh, live action, and uh, I never had the chance, never got the opportunity, and it just didn't happen, you know. But uh, I, I, you know, it's probably better that I didn't, because I when I get in the position of Telling people what to do, I get kind of a short fuse sometimes. Mm. And um, uh, I've I've taught art in, in several times to to uh, to people, you know, painting and drawing and stuff like that. And uh, boy, I have to catch myself. I can be such a jerk. <laughs> I can really can, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I quit. I I, I quit teaching. Just because of that. I, I didn't want to. I don't like telling people that their stuff is crappy. You know. And, and I have to come up with so many words. To say this stuff is not good. <laughs> you know. And. I, it, when, when I was directing. I uh, I had to fire a couple of animators. Because their stuff was just bad. You know. And it, it was just making too much work for other people. Because. Because. I, I wasn't going to let it go, you know, I mean, I was uh, I wanted to see my stuff that had my anything to do with me. I wanted to see make it look good. Of course. Yeah. Aurora. So unfortunately, uh, I don't know what happened to those guys, but
2: uh, maybe they got into selling insurance or something. <laughs> uh, when it came to. Uh- Star Trek or, or any of your filmation projects in the, in the early 70s like do you recall roughly how many people you had working uh, on one of these given shows at any given time
1: Um usually 10 around 10 okay uh, there was uh, a pool of animators and at the time we had probably 30 animators and uh, that were working on, you know, different parts of. Uh, there were usually two or three different shows going on at the same time, so I would uh, I would have feed feed animators my show, and then when my show was done, they would get on to another show, you know. So it would be kind of uh, uh, nobody was ever left for
2: lack of work to do. What made him immune? Um. But, Yeah. Absolutely, and and like when you would, ha- yeah, as you talked about, you know, the kind of last stage was to have the camera people, uh, you know, photograph an episode, uh, put it onto film reels. From there, was it a? Uh, did you have screenings at that point, or was the screening process for, you know, the higher ups, so to speak, did that come beforehand, or was the time crunch just so much you were just shipping this stuff right out to the to the next? No,
1: no, we we did look at it. We we uh, we went over it for uh, retakes. Mm, we okay. called it the retake, uh, and we were shown, this was after they had, the editors had cut it all together with the dialogue, no music, you know, no sound effects, just the dialogue and uh, and the, the uh, animation, and we would go through it, look for mistakes, um, and... Um, Call for retakes on certain scenes that looked bad. Uh, you know, there were mistakes made in either the truck in or the uh, the pans or the. Uh, at that time, uh, we worked with, like I said, cells, the cells and uh, the camera guys. Uh, if somebody was talking, one of the characters was talking. Sometimes the mouth would move to the side of the guy's face, and then back to it to his mouth and continue talking you know And mistakes like that we're just hey if it if it couldn't be cut out i'd have to do a retake yeah yeah you know, all, all the time you know every every show had retakes for one reason or another yeah work
0: Including, I would hope, some of that. So, in this episode, we see a good example of the entire crew working together. You know, Spock doing some research and McCoy doing some research and all coming together to to solve the basic problem of the plague. That's, those are always nice when it's not just one character who, who takes the lead, but when they all work together.
1: Excuses, right. Doctor. Yeah, it's uh, working as, uh, in the team, you know. Mm-hmm. Animation is a team effort. I think all film, all film production uh, requires a team. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's got to do their part. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I don't know how you do your uh, your podcast things, Probably similar. Uh, you know, there must be somewhat of a, a team involved. Um, but you know, getting people that work to work together that like each other. Uh, very important uh, for him, for anything any kind of see. see Hal Sadler's name got always got at the end. <laughs> he he got per, he got uh,
2: directors for
1: because he was the main guy. Yeah,
2: yeah that's another that's a bit of trivia out there for listeners. Like for the first run and for a long time, uh, you weren't credited as a director on on the majority of season two, and it was only with the DVD release that they were able to fix that and, and put your name as director for season two. Um, instead, it was attributed to Hal Sutherland, who uh, was the main director for season one.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, that was amazing. And of course, the listeners out there, uh, what we end on there is is a little bickering scene between McCoy and Spock, which was kind of a staple of the original series, but uh, a little less seen sometimes in the animated series. So it's nice to see it return uh, there. Um, well and also we've reached the end of the episode um, Mr. Reed. What are, what are you up to these days what's, uh, what's life treating you to
1: I paint a lot Nice, a lot of painting and uh, I, I go out plain air painting or uh, if the weather's bad I'll, I'll work for photographs and uh, I'm involved in uh, uh, different uh, arts groups and you know, stuff like that so I continue my my art journey in a different fashion which was was you know which was kind of uh, hard for me to get over the drawing because drawing with a pencil is much different than painting with you know it's a totally different way of, of looking at uh, at an image or conveying an image a 2d 2d image to uh, to try to make it look three-dimensional, but uh, I've, I've been doing it, I've been painting since around 2000, so it's been about 20 years
2: since
1: I started painting, and I retired in 2008. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, definitely keep busy.
2: And if uh, if fans are uh, looking to get in touch with you, is there any uh, websites or uh, social medias that you like to plug?
1: Um, well, I'm on Facebook. Nice. Uh, just Bill Reed. That's me. <laughs> They want to get a hold of me. Uh, I, I I remembered a, a story that I wanted to relay to you people. Yeah, please. One of the animators was uh, Frank Gonzalez. And uh, he was good. He was a good good animator. And uh, he, he went all the way back. I think he started in the business in the 1940s. And had worked for uh, Warner Brothers at the time. And uh, 40s and 50s. Um, early 50s, uh, he was working for Warner Brothers as an assistant animator, and he was so good that he got uh, he got a, a name for himself, and they they started calling him Speedy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as you can imagine, you know that uh, his name was Speedy Gonzalez, and <laughs> and uh, that uh, that name stuck. And uh, I think it was Fritz Freeling was uh, the head of the Warner Brothers shorts in those days. that came up with the idea of doing a little, uh, a little mouse who uh, his name was Speedy Gonzalez. He was so fast that uh, he could outrun any cat, you know. And and that's how that Speedy
2: Gonzalez thing started. Wow. <laughs> I that's knew amazing. Frank. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah.
2: all started with Frank. Ah, uh, that is Frank. fantastic. I. uh That's such a good story. Um, Well, uh, Bill Reed, thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I hope we can have you back on sometime. It would be... uh, I love the animated series so much, and and Filmation's history is just so fascinating to me. Um, So uh, for listeners out there, we definitely want to thank our uh, sound engineer, Mark Rivera, as well as our producer, uh, Natalie Miscelli, and executive producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin, Um, If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Inglorious Trek on Twitter or at Inglorious Experts on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Give us a subscribe button. Give us five stars if you like, uh, or give us less if you really feel like it, but we prefer the better ones. And um, So for Lisa Klink and myself, we want to say thank you very much for being here. And the briefing room is now closed.
1: Scott, will you repeat what you just told us? About an
0: hour ago, bridge control started going crazy. shipped shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened, as if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement.